have your Bibles, turn to the book of Hosea, and we'll be in chapter number 9. Somebody asked me a while back if we would do Jeremiah, and uh, I said, no, not right now, because you get into a book like uh, Hosea, and you see how tough some of the things God says really are, and how difficult it is to swallow, and you, get, and you can maybe handle it for 14 chapters, but uh, you get a book like Jeremiah, and it would get pretty old after a while, so there's some great stuff in Jeremiah, and I'm certainly not, not, not recommending that book. I mean, you certainly want to read that when you get a chance. I, don't, I wouldn't recommend it for your devotional time, but, but we all want to read all the books of the Bible, but, but uh, man, some of these things that God says in, in these prophets especially the minor prophets, is really some harsh stuff. Some really harsh stuff. And I think some of the harsh things that he was saying to the nation of Israel through Hosea in that day, he would be saying today uh, to America through his prophets because our times are not much different from the times that our nation is not, not that much different from the nation of Israel. And so... Uh, these are difficult passages and, and really hard to swallow, but it's the Lord speaking to this nation, and I think he's speaking to us too, and I, I just wonder if anybody's listening. I, uh, it's, it's, you know, really an indictment on, on nations and individuals that, that we would turn from a holy and just and loving God and, and turn to all of these idols and really, in effect, reject him and that's the message of Hosea and it's a message for Israel and it's a message for America and it's a message for you and I and so let's go to chapter 9 again it's pretty tough stuff what he's going to say here but let's let's see if we can handle it uh, verse number one he says do not rejoice yeah, it kind of sounds like James remember he says how you sinners you know and do not rejoice Israel don't rejoice like the other peoples the other nations for here's why, because you've played the harlot against your God. And you have made love for hire on every threshing floor with all the pagan gods. Uh, you've, you've, you've committed idolatry. And so he says, you, you, I don't want you to be happy. I'm not going to let you be happy like the other nations. Now that doesn't sound fair to me. I mean, you're going to let the other nations rejoice, but you're not going to let the apple of your eye rejoice? What's the lesson that God's trying to teach right there? What he's teaching is that the, the more privilege you have, the more responsibility you have. I mean, you remember over in Romans chapter 3, Paul said, what advantage has the Jews? What profit is circumcision? I mean, if, if the Jews have been, had such tough times, I mean, what's the advantage of being a Jew? And Paul says that they have, they have advantages in every way. And here's the main reason, because the Jews were giving the, given the oracles of God. They were given the very word of God. They were given the standard of God. They were given the law. And so they were blessed beyond any other people. But with great privilege comes great responsibility. I mean, they were given the privilege to know Jehovah God. They actually had Jehovah God in their presence. They, they had the Shekinah glory in their presence. It, it, it was over the temple. They knew that God was there. 
I mean, how could you turn on God? And so, so just as Jesus said over in Luke chapter 12, he said, but he who did not know yet committed things deserving of stripes will be beaten with a few for everyone. But for every, he, then he goes on to say, for everyone to whom much is given, from much will be required and to him and to whom much has been committed of him, they will ask more. And so the Jews were committed with great things, and so great things were required of them. They were, again, they had the very presence of God in their midst, and uh, they really, in all, by, in all effect, uh, rejected his presence and went at chasing after other gods. And when they had their harvest on their threshing floors, they were blessing other gods. They weren't blessing the God who had given them the harvest. And so God says, judgment is coming. And you know, I don't think you have to look far to make an application to the United States of America. They don't want to even go there. But just look at our own situation as individuals. Let's make a personal application. What have you been given by God? What have I been given by God? We've been given the oracles of God. We have more of the oracles of God than they had. Not only have we been given the oracles of God and God's law and his standard, we've been given a Savior who saved us from failing at keeping that standard. And not only have we been given a Savior, we've been given a Holy, the, the Holy Spirit. The Shekinah glory of God dwells in us. And so, I mean... We have Bibles, we, have, we, have, we all get to go to church, we all have the Holy Spirit living in us, but with great privileges come what? Comes what? Great responsibility. And, and, and shame on us if, if we allow our life to be filled with idols when God loves us so much and wants us, he wants to be our God. He is our God if we're born again believer. He says the threshing floor, verse number two, and the winepress shall not feed them any longer. In other words, they've given credit to other gods, and so uh, they're not gonna they're not gonna harvest wheat like they used to. They're not gonna harvest grapes like they uh, used to. It shall not feed them, and the new wine shall fail her. They're about, all of that's about to dry up. Verse number three: They shall not dwell in the Lord's land any longer. But Ephraim shall return to Egypt. I talked about this last week. I think he's speaking metaphorically there of the fact that some of them actually did return to Egypt, but I think he's talking about the state that they were in when they were in Egypt. They were in what? They were in bondage. They were in, slave, in slavery. And, and, and that's, they're going back to that. So he says, they shall not dwell in the Lord's land. What's the Lord's land? Well, I got to tell you, the whole earth is the Lord's land. Psalmist says in Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It's all his. But what's the Lord speaking of here? He's speaking of the promised land. He's speaking of Israel. They shall not dwell in the Lord's land any longer. They're going to get kicked out. And they're going to return to Egypt. And they shall eat unclean things in Assyria. In other words, they're not going to have their religion anymore. They're going to, they're going to be forced to, to eat the pagan things that, pagan, that, that the pagan gods they turn themselves over to eat. And they're going to be forced to eat it. And their religion's going to be taken away. So they're in for some tough times. And he says, verse, in verse, beginning in verse number four, he says, they shall not offering wine offerings to the Lord. In other words, they're not going to have a religion anymore. 
Part of their religion was that they offered wine offerings. Nor shall their sacrifices be pleasing to him. They're wasting their time making any kind of religious sacrifice. It shall be like bread of mourners to them. All who eat it shall be defiled. For their bread shall be for their own life. In other words, the only good bread will be for them. It won't be for showbread anymore. It won't be part of a religious ritual. The only good the bread will be will be to keep them alive. It, it, it won't come into the house of the Lord. It won't come into the temple. And what will you do on the appointed days? And on the day of the feast of the Lord? What are you going to do now? Because you have no temple. You're, you're about to be scattered throughout the land. You'll have no religion. And everything you've taken for granted is going to be taken away from you. For indeed, they are gone because of destruction. Egypt shall gather them up. The pagans shall gather them up. Pagan taskmasters shall gather them up. Memphis shall, shall bury them. In other words, they're going to die in foreign lands. They're not going to die in God's land. In, in Israel anymore. Nettles or weeds will, will cover their valuables. They're gonna, their valuables are going to be worthless. The thorns shall be in their homes and in the temple. Weeds are going to grow in, into their homes because they're going to be unoccupied and in the temple and, and uh, they're going to be full of thorns. I mean... It's as if Hosea is saying to them, you better enjoy your religion, what's left of your religion now, because it's all about to be taken away. You know, I wonder if that could ever happen in the United States of America. You better believe it can. In fact, some of the things that we treasure dear to us are being taken away right now before our very eyes. I mean, you name the name Jesus in a public school now, you used to be able to do that. You better, you better look out. I mean, I saw a judge rule the other day where students could not bring Bibles on their school buses because it offended people who aren't saved. I, you know, there, I believe there will come a time, just like there was in England, uh, before people escaped to America, where owning a Bible was illegal. Throughout Europe for years, it was illegal to own a Bible. When, when uh, people tried to translate the Bible into English, they were, they were the Wycliffe's, they were, they were killed. The original Wycliffe's, they were killed. The Lollards, they were killed. And, and I wonder if we're not heading down that same path now to where some of the things that we take for granted are going to be taken away from us. There'll still be churches. But to be able to stand and proclaim the word and to call sin, sin, and, and uh, do what we're supposed to do as born-again believers to share the gospel with the people, lost people of this world, those days, are, those days are, are possibly numbered. Maybe not. I mean, I don't know. We still have that, and while we have it, we need, to, we need to take advantage of it. We still have those privileges, but they could be taken away. Verse number seven, the days of punishment have come. God's drawn the land, line in the sand and there's no turning back. Remember, they were past saving because a whole generation of Israelites had been raised up who didn't know the Lord, a pagan generation. He's going to be really harsh on that generation and he's going to say some harsh things about that generation here in just a minute, some really harsh things. 
He says, the days of punishment have come. The days of recompense have come. Israel knows. Did you catch that? They know that it's about to come down. They knew that they were on the verge of destruction. But their apocalypse was in the wind. Their destruction was in the wind. They could see it coming. They knew enough about God to know that a holy God was not going to let them continue on in their sin and their idolatry forever. That at some point, he was going to judge their nation. Isn't it interesting, the number of movies and television shows and all the things that are made in an apocalyptic genre? Because there's something in the air. People realize, and anybody with any common sense realizes, anybody with any conscience at all realizes that our days are numbered if we don't repent and turn around. And there's going to come a day when the days of punishment have come. And I start hearing Russia talking about, and we studied Russia being the bearer over in Daniel that is given this power to to bring great destruction upon the earth. And I read about Russia daring us and saying they're going to come at us on every front. We better be looking out. They're, they're, they're not going to allow us to push them any further. And you hear China saying the same thing. And I'm not here tonight to try to depress you. But, hey, if, you, if you're not stupid, we're in very, very dangerous times. Now, there, God's on his throne, and none of this is going to happen until he allows it to happen. But I certainly wouldn't be shocked if our day of punishment has come. It wouldn't shock me at all. In fact, it would shock me if we go on the way we're going much longer. The prophet to the, to the Israelite, the prophet was a fool. The spiritual man is insane. Somebody who really believes the word of God, they're insane. They're written off as insane. Because of their greatness, now watch this, this is a scary thing. Because of your, the greatness of your iniquity, you have great enmity. Really, let me translate that a little bit differently there. In other words, based upon your great iniquity, you have great enemies. And I don't think God there was talking so much about Assyria, although that was the enemy that was going to bring the northern kingdom down. But I don't think he was talking about them so much. Who was he, who, what enemy was he speaking of? Who had become their enemy? God himself had become their enemy. The Lord says you're either for me or you're against me. You either gather or you scatter. And here was the apple of the eye who, had, who, had, who now was at great enmity with the Lord himself. And so the days of their punishment had come. I mean, that's a scary, scary statement. And then in verse number eight, he says, the watchman of Ephraim is with my God. I mean, there were some watchmen still left. There were some godly prophets still left in the land. Hosea was one of them. Amos was one of them. And they were preaching that either repentance or destruction. They were watching and they could see these storms on the horizon and they were saying if this nation doesn't straighten up and doesn't straighten up. Now there's going to be, there's, the wrath of God's about to fall upon us. But there were other prophets 
And they were the ones who had taken control of the house of God. And listen to what he says. But the prophet, the other prophets are a fowler's snare in all their ways or in all his ways. And there's enmity in the house of God. These prophets really are the enemy of God. And so even in the house of God, there was this enmity between Israel and their maker, between Israel and their and their. Uh, the one who had brought them into the land, Jehovah God. I mean, and they had these health wealth guys in there that were telling them everything's okay, don't worry about it. God's not going to judge you. You're the apple of God's eye. He would never judge you for your sin. And you know, you know the only way they could say that would be to not be reading the word of God because in Deuteronomy, Moses made it very clear he described these days that they were in to the T and said, when you reach these days, you're going to go into captivity. It's going to happen because at one day you are going to turn on the Lord and there's going to be a generation that doesn't know the Lord and that generation is going to go into captivity. It's going to happen. But they weren't looking at the word of the Lord. And so there were enemies in the house of the Lord. Verse number nine, they are deeply corrupted as in the days of Gibeah. You could have might, he could have said, as in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, would have been the same thing. You want to judge a nation's wickedness, look at how the sexuality or the sexual practices of that nation when a nation becomes like Sodom and Gomorrah, they have reached the day of punishment. They're there. It's not necessarily because they've become like Sodom and Gomorrah because they have sexual depravity. That's not necessarily the sin that tips the scales. That's just, Paul, if you look at Romans chapter 1, Paul makes it real clear. You want to measure a nation when men are with men and Women are with women. You know a nation is, is going down the tubes. It's become like Sodom and Gomorrah, like the days of Gibeah. What was he speaking of about the days of Gibeah? Well, he was speaking of the time, if you remember, when the Levite came to Gibeah. Gibeah was in the land of Benjamin. And he came, it's over in the book of Judges. And he came there with his concubine. Now, what's a Levite doing with a concubine? kind of shows you. A prostitute, his own personal prostitute kind of shows you how depraved the whole society had become. I mean, he was actually the good guy in the story. But remember the Benjamites, all the people, every man in the city of Gibeah, except the man who was hosting this Levite, and the only reason he wasn't in on it is because there was that tradition in the Middle East where if you host somebody, you gotta, you got you to gotta protect them to the death. And so... Uh, they, the men of Benjamin came and knocked on the door and said, we want the Levite to come out, bring him out to us so we can all have sex with him. They wanted to have homosexual relations with him. I'm sorry, kids, on this one. I know this is tough. But he, but he, he uh, uh, and I lost my track now. I'm going to try to make this as clean as I can. I just noticed that y'all are sitting there. So I'm going to try to clean it up a little bit. So anyway, he, they gave, the, the, the Levite gave them his concubine. He gave them his concubine, and they had relations with his concubine all night to the point that she died at his doorstep. 
And so he says, as in the days of Gibeah, as in the days of Gibeah, that's, that's the way where Israel is at now. They are deeply corrupted. That is deep, deep, deep cor- corruption. Sexual depravity on that scale is, hey, deep corruption. And God's going to remember their iniquity and he will punish their sin. Listen to me, God punishes all sin. Every sin. Small, big, large, every sin at some point is punished. This idea that somehow God winks at sin is wrong. At some point, God will punish sin and he will punish every single sin. Now, you want some good news? Jesus took the punishment for me, for my sin. And I will never be punished for my sin. And you, if you're a born-again believer here tonight, you will never be punished for your sin. That was dealt with on the cross. And the blood of Christ cleanses me from all unrighteousness, from all sin. So I will never be punished. punished for my sin. And that's what bothers me about some of these churches today that say we don't need the blood. Don't tell me about the blood. I don't want to hear about the blood. Well, let me tell you what, if you don't have the blood, you are still in your sin and every sin is going to be punished at some point. You are going to be punished. So if somebody tells them, I don't care what they call themselves, what denomination they belong to, they can be a Calvary Chapel pastor. But if they say you don't need the blood, they're still in their sin. Because it's the blood that cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Well, how does that work? I don't know. I know that's what the Bible says. In my faith, I believe that. I believe, you know, I I know what blood that was. It was shed on that cross. It was the blood of God. There's power in the blood. There's power to save save us from our sins. There's power to cleanse us from our sins. Thank God we're not going to be punished. But on a national level, that doesn't mean that the United States of America won't be punished. I mean, so God says, hey, judgment is coming. But, you know, God didn't relish the idea, and I don't relish the idea of seeing a nation judged. I would hate to see our nation judged. I mean, I wish people would repent. I wish people would turn around. I I hope we we have a revival, and there's, there's this this great revival in the United States, and we don't have to be punished. But Israel had passed the point where there was going to be, you know, revival requires a choice. God doesn't, you know, this idea that God just somehow blows his spirit on a city and everybody gets saved, that's nuts. Because if God, if God wished none, if God wishes that none should perish, isn't that what the Bible tells us? And if all it required was him to blow his spirit upon a city, what would he be doing? He'd be blowing his spirit all over the city and everybody gets saved. But that's, salvation requires a choice. It requires a choice. And so if people have, if we've reached a point in our nation where a generation is growing up that doesn't know the Lord and they're never going to make that choice, then judgment is on the horizon. Verse number 10, good news again, though, you will not be punished. I found Israel like grapes in the wilderness. Now, he, he, he didn't want to punish them. God, had a, God loves, loved Israel. He still loves Israel. They're still the apple of his eye. He didn't want to punish them. 
He says, I found Israel like grapes in the wilderness, like wild grapes. And I saw your fathers as the first fruits on a fig tree in the fig season. It's like they produced this luscious fruit. Right after the Exodus, everything was great. Everything was great. I had a fig tree I cut down this year that, that uh, it, because it wasn't producing any figs. And the few figs that it produced, the birds got because the limbs were up. So I could have trimmed it down, but, but I trimmed it last year. I didn't get any figs out of it. But I remember, I, I think I planted that tree like seven years ago. I remember the first year after I planted that tree, it was full of the most delicious fruit, figs. You, these big old figs like this, I mean, they were fantastic. The second year it was all great, but it wasn't long before that. I, I don't know what happens to a fig tree. I, don't, I think it probably in my yard is getting way too much shade, way too much darkness. Maybe there's an illustration there. But that's what. But Israel did, wasn't living in the dark. They had the Lord with them. And, and no sooner, you remember the story, no sooner had they come out of the, the uh, exodus in just a short period of time, they, they went to Baal, Peor, and they had these relationships with these pagan women and, and, and adopted their pagan gods. I mean, they had the God of glory with them, and they still turned on the Lord. And so he says, they went to Belpiar and, and separated themselves to that shame. And here's, here's what I want you to see, that last part of that verse. And they became an abomination like the thing they loved. Great spiritual lesson right there. What was the thing they loved? Pagan gods and sexual immorality. And they became like that. It didn't take long at all. I mean, they were pretty pagan when they left Egypt, and then all of a sudden they had a revival, and then they went back to their pagan ways. Not all of them, but some of them. You know, that's a great principle right there. Like, what you sow is what you reap. What you love becomes who you are to some degree. If you love nothing but inanimate material things, then one day you're going to become an inanimate person, a material person. We're really not much of a soul. I mean, if you love evil idols, you'll become like those idols. I mean, whatever we love, that's what we become like. God's made it that way. So if you love God, guess who you're going to become like? You're going to become like God. If you love God, then you want to behold God. You want to be with God. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3, he says, But we all, with an unveiled face, beholding as in the mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed in the same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord. And so if we love the Lord and we're beholding the Lord, guess what? We're changed into his image. We become the thing that we love. And if you don't love the Lord, then you're never going to behold the Lord, and so you're never going to become like the Lord. What you love is what you, what you, you, you invest yourself in. If you invest yourself in a godly home, you'll have a godly home. You invest yourself in the Lord, you'll, 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 and you love the Lord, you'll, 
You'll become like the Lord. Then in verse number 11, he says, As for Ephraim, their glory shall fly away like a bird. All the glory that I gave them. I made them a magnificent nation. You ever go outside and there's a bird out there? What happened to that bird when he sees you? Boom, he's out of, he's out of there. Like a, like a frightened bird, their glory is going to fly away. No birth, no pregnancy, and no conception. They're not going to have many children is what he's saying. You know, you, you, you watch how things transpire in a nation, and in good times, a lot of children are born. In really bad times, people cut back on the number of children they have. In really terrible times, some people don't have any children at all. And that's what he's saying. They're, 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 uh, there's going to be no birth, no pregnancy, no conception. And even if they do have children, though they bring up their children, yet I will bereave them to the last man. They're not going to find happiness in their children. Yes, woe to them when I depart from them. Woe to them when they're on their own and their children are on their own. When their children are serving a foreign king instead of serving God. Because the Shekinah will be gone. Woe to them. I think one of the saddest scriptures in, in the Bible is in Ezekiel where the glory departs from the temple and from the southern kingdom and, and God is gone and he leaves them to themselves. And not only is it bad for them, it's bad for their children. That's what he's saying. So you don't want to have any children in that day. Verse number 13, just as I saw Ephraim like Tyre planted in a pleasant place, a great place to raise their children. So Ephraim will now bring out his children to the murderer, to kings, evil kings, murderers. Evil men and evil women will rule over you. And then verse number 14 says, give them, O Lord, what will you give? Give them miscarrying womb and dry breast. In other words, Hosea steps in and said, don't let them have any children in those bad times. You know, I look forward to having grandchildren. I don't, I'm not going to have any more children, but I look forward to having grandchildren. But, man, I wonder about young people and what the age they're going to grow up in. I wonder. You know, I mean, I, I'm not, I would certainly wouldn't recommend you not having children in this age, but, man, what we've seen happen in the last 20 years, if it goes on like this, it's going to be a terrible place to, to be living in 20 years from now. God can change all of that. But it's tough to raise children in a pagan world, a pagan land, if you, especially if you raise them in the Lord. You raise them up to be pagans, they'll be fine as far as this life goes, as far as fitting into the, their society. But if you raise them up in the Lord, which that's what I'd want for my grandchildren, and that's what you want for your children, it's going to be tough on them. And you've got to prepare them for that. It's going to be really tough on them. Verse 15, all their wickedness is in Gilgal. Gilgal was where they had erected their greatest pagan shrines. And all their wickedness, you can see it right there, God says, right there in Gilgal. I hated them. I, for, for there I hated them. I hated the fact, the Lord says, that the people I love went and worshipped after other gods like prostitutes. Because of the evil of their deeds, I will drive them from my house. 
from the temple and from my presence, and I will love them no more. Now, God is using an anthropomorphism right there because God still loved the nation Israel. But love is action, isn't it? And so they weren't going to experience the love of God anymore. God emotionally still loved them at this point, and we'll see him say that later on as, as we finish up the book. But he says, at this point, I'm not going to show any love to them anymore because all their princes are rebellious. And then he gives you their state. As we finish up in verses 16 and 17, Ephraim is stricken. Their root has dried up. They shall bear no fruit. Yes, were they to bear children. So he's talking about, we know in context, he's talking about fruit. He's talking about children. There will be no fruit. And even if they bear fruit, I would kill their darlings of their womb. They're going to die. My God will cast them away. Cast their, I will turn my back on their little ones. You know, I don't think there's a parent in the world, I don't care how pagan you are, who doesn't think of their children as little darlings. But the question isn't what you think of them. The question is, what does God think of them? God in his omniscience knows whether or not a child is going to grow up to love the Lord or whether that child is going to grow up to love evil, to love the devil and devilish things. And all of these children in Israel were growing up to be little devils because they weren't being raised properly and they weren't being raised in the Lord. And the Lord says, hey, you can have children, but I'm going to turn my back on your children. Now, that sounds harsh. God wouldn't do that today, right? Oh, you better believe he'll do that today. That's the same yesterday and today and tomorrow. And to have this kind of mushy idea that God would not do the same thing that he did to Israel in modern days is you've got the wrong view of God. God is omniscient. He can see the future. And if a parent makes the choice to raise their child as a pagan, God will turn his back on that child. Now, there's always hope. There's always hope. And I, when I say God figuratively will turn his back on a child, it doesn't mean that God's given up on that child and God will woo that child, but God knows. God knows before the foundation of the world those children that are going to choose him. And to think somehow that they're little darlings, that every little child is a darling to God, that's, that's not what the Bible teaches. You can't find that anywhere. And a lot of people teach that. And a nation that turns from God and rejects all the things that God has given them, the oracles of God, the spirit of God, the churches, the, the Bibles, everything that this nation has been given, and they reject that. The people reject that. At some point, God rejects the people because there's no hope for the people. When there's a generation in the United States that grows up that doesn't know the Lord, then you can be sure that the day of punishment is coming for the United States. Thank goodness there are some children in the United States today who know the Lord. And there probably were some a remnant back then. But overall, they had turned totally away from the Lord. Great news, right? Tough text. It's a tough text. And what I love about 
the minor prophets is that as much as any place in the Bible, in the minor prophets, you see the heart of God. Here's God is torn for this nation. He loves this nation. But he also loves justice and he loves righteousness. And he nurtures and cares and does everything he can for those who love him. But those who choose to be enemies of God, he treats them as enemies. If you choose to hate God, I don't know emotionally or spiritually God hates anybody, but God won't show his love, his blessings to people who hate him. that He knows they're going to hate him to the end. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your goodness to us. This crowd here tonight and lots of people we know, Lord, who know you and love you and are serving you. And Lord, we just ask that that number grows instead of decreases. We ask that there is a revival in this land, Lord, that you do the things that you know you have to do to, to turn this nation around to turn the people of this nation throughout this world, Lord, we ask for a revival. Sometimes revivals are preceded by very difficult times, Lord, and so we, we kind of flinch when we ask for revival. But, Lord, we're desperate for revival in this country. You read the words of Hosea and the rest of these prophets, and it's almost like you're reading the newspaper today. And our times are no different than in their times, Lord. So we do just ask for your mercy and grace. Lord, we don't deserve it. None of us deserve it. We were all lost and, and rebellious before you saved us, Lord. So we, we, we're praying again for a revival for this country. And that's what these texts lead us to do. And we know your heart, Lord. We know from your word that you desire that none should perish, that all should come to eternal life. So use us and Give us those opportunities to share your gospel and to, to lead people into a relationship with Jesus Christ. We just ask all of these things in his precious name I pray. Amen.